I have for you, so let's, uh, let's grab your Bibles and go to Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, Frederick II was the emperor of Germany from 1196 to 1250. We don't know much about him, but we do know that he, um, he decided to embark on this uh, strange, cruel experiment. And what he wanted to find out is what language would children speak if no one ever spoke to them? Like infants, what would they grow up and speak? He, he thought, well, maybe uh, because he, he thought Hebrew was the oldest language, which it wasn't, but he thought maybe they would grow up and speak Hebrew. Maybe they'd speak Greek. Maybe they'd speak Latin or Arabic, or maybe they'd speak the language of their parents' origin. And so what he did is he, he knew he couldn't get parents to do this with their children, but there were all these orphans in his kingdom. And so he decided to order the foster nurses, these nurses that were caring for him and the nannies, he said to them, um, you can feed your, these babies, you can clothe them, you can give them something to drink, you can put them to sleep, you can care for all of their physical needs. The one thing you cannot do that you're forbidden from doing is to speak to them. And the results of the experiment were shocking because none of these kids learned Hebrew or Greek or Latin or Arabic or even the language of their parents' origin because all of the children died because they couldn't live without being spoken to. And neither can you. Think about, think about all the ways that we sort of take for granted speech and all the ways that, I mean, it's so much a part of our lives. Even if you, you, you know, you, you, you could just be sign language, you, you have no ability to speak audibly and yet speech is a part of you, right? So you, you think of all the ways though that we, we desperately need speech to fulfill very real human needs in our life. Like, um... We need speech to understand who we are. Like, how do I fundamentally even understand who I am without something, someone speaking to me and saying, here's who you are, and me speaking to them and having that interaction? I can't know my identity apart from speech. We fulfill social needs, right, through speech. And so, so, so I... I, I need to, to talk to people, and talking to people gives me pleasure socially. We, we receive affirmation. We receive acceptance. We show affection through speech. It's a very social thing, isn't it? We, we fulfill practical needs. Like, how else do I tell the barber how much to take here versus there? How else do I tell the doctor where it hurts and what it feels like and symptoms? How else do I tell the mechanic what's going on and where the sound is coming from? How else do I tell my waiter or waitress what I want to eat or don't, right? So, so in fact, we could say that the difference between a functioning, uh, healthy family or uh, marriage or organization is speech. We need speech to survive. Now, Let's press the pause button on that, and let me just talk to you real quickly and kind of get our feet under us um, and talk about where, where are we. we, we are, we're in the book of Hebrews, and what's going on in the book of Hebrews? The book of Hebrews is written to 
a group of Jewish Christians living in Rome, most likely, and their world has been turned upside down. Like many of them have lost property, they have lost possessions, they've lost friendships, they've lost the companionship of family members, all because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And now they're probably even the threat of martyrdom. There is a persecution, a newer persecution that looms. So, so we, know, we know that this actually, by the way, happened historically. I think last week I took you to chapter 10, verses 32 to 39, where you read about some of the persecution that happened. A guy named William Lane, who's a New Testament scholar, has sort of pieced together the historical kind of markers and said, so, so probably the persecution being talked about in chapter 10 happened around A.D. 49, and we know from historical records that in A.D. 49, there was a, a, a persecution that arose against Christians in Rome under the Emperor Claudius. So there's this historian named Suetonius who writes a brief history called The Life of the Deified Claudius. And this is what Suetonius says. He says, there were riots in the Jewish quarter at the instigation of Crestus. As a result, Claudius expelled the Jews from Rome. Crestus, most people believe that what Suetonius was referring to there is Christ, Christians, that this sect of people, and they were expelled uh, from Rome. And so now here we are about 15 years later, than when that original persecution that's talked about here and in chapter 10, or about 15 years later, and this writer sits down uh, to write to his friends, and, and there is a new persecution that has arisen. Nobody has died yet, but apparently martyrdom is on the horizon, and he sees that this might happen. So much so that he says in chapter 12, verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. None of you have died yet. So here, here is this writer in chapter 1 and, and, and in the book of Hebrews, and he's writing to his friends, and he wants to encourage them. They're scared. They're intimidated. They don't know what to do. Some of them, no doubt, had, had, gotten, you know, had gone underground to escape the persecution. Others had said, I'm going to stop worshiping in the public assembly. I'm going to stop going and getting together with Christians and worshiping Jesus because guilt by association, and I don't want me and my family to be subject to that persecution. And then certainly what the writer is afraid of is that one of the things they'll do is they'll be arrested, which isn't the problem. The problem is the, the terms of being released from that arrest. So, so in A.D. 64, we know that Nero burns Rome, or about 15 years later, Nero burns Rome and starts persecuting the Christians, throwing them into jail, and it was really easy to get out of jail. All you had to say is, Caesar Curios, that is to say, Caesar is Lord, and they'd let you go. Not Jesus is Lord, Caesar is Lord, and you'd be Okay. So he sits down and he writes this letter to his friends because they're beleaguered. They're being persecuted. They don't know what to do. And I think these friends, these, these Hebrew Christians are asking some really important questions. God, where are you? Like, where are you in this dark, dark time? Why don't you answer us? You seem so silent. 
why don't you speak? Because God, if you don't speak like Frederick's foster children, we're going to die. Where are you? And so the writer of Hebrews sends this letter. They receive it. Now understand, in those days, the Roman Christians, it wasn't this massive church like it would have been, say, in Jerusalem, in, in Rome. It would have been maybe small pockets, maybe 15 or 20. He sends it. Somebody receives that letter. Word goes out. We're meeting at this place. Perhaps they go under the streets into the catacombs of Rome. They gather together on the Sabbath. They light a candle. They come around the candle. They sing a hushed worship song. They're afraid. They're terrified. Where's God? Why doesn't He speak? And then somebody steps forward opens this letter, and reads this. Verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. And in that opening sentence... This beleaguered, persecuted, hard-pressed, trouble-inflicted little congregation comes face to face with a God who speaks. He speaks. Do you understand God speaks? God sees, He cares, He listens to the cries of His people, and He speaks. God wants to be known. God wants to communicate himself to us. You understand, God is not an idea that we debate and discuss. He's a person who wants to be listened to and understood and obeyed. He wants to show us himself so that we know how to live. He wants to speak to us so so we can lovingly follow him and obey him and listen to him and do what he asks us to do. He wants to speak to us so that we won't die. But the question is, how does God speak to us? Well, before the writer of Hebrews ever sat down, God was speaking. Before the prophets ever came on the scene, God was speaking. And this is what your Bible tells you. In fact, it says over and over, let's say it this way, God speaks through the universe. Like this is one of the primary ways that God speaks to us, or certainly a major way, right? He speaks through the universe before the prophets ever were. So, 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 so look at what Psalm 19 says. It says, now, now look at all the speech language here. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. God is speaking. He's he's saying, listen, every moment of every day, God God just speaks copious amounts of words into existence. I mean, he is doing things all the time. He's speaking to us in all kinds of ways. Day to day, his speech is just pouring out as we look out. 
As we look out at his creation, and his creation is screaming to us, the universe is screaming to us, there is a God, and there is a God who cares. Do, do you understand this? Like, if, if there is a God, and you believe he created all that there is, then that has to be a God who cares. That has to be a God who wants to give us joy, right? Because he gives us air to breathe. He gives us water and wine to drink. He gives us, he gives us food to eat. He, he, gives us, he gives us beauty to observe, to take in. He gives us experiences to feel. I mean, just think of this. God didn't have to do it this way. Right? I mean, he, he could have, all of us could have some sort of tube coming out of our sides that we just sort of, you know, pump some sludge into that tastes like nothing, but it nourishes our bodies. But God goes, no, I want you to know what enchiladas taste like. They're awesome, and I want something to go over your tongue, and I want you to go praise Jesus for my tongue and what I just got to, got to experience. I mean, you ever thought about this? I mean, the beauty that God puts out there for us? I mean, I'm astounded to drive home every day and be looking at these mountains and be like, this is ridiculous. Like every day they look different. Like some days it's like gorillas in the mist. Some days it's like, you know, it's just, it's just incredible. I mean, you ever think about this? Like, like since God created the world, one of the first things he does is set a light in the heavens to govern the day and the night, right? And this is the sun. And every day since that moment, that sun has just been on a cycle. And we call it sun up and sun down. And it happens every single day. And yet every single day for how many ever thousands or millions of years, wherever you are on that, whatever, for how many years have people, are people today going to drive and, and hike and, and go to places where they can just see the sun do what it's done for thousands of years. Come up. Go down. I've got to see this. And it's just going to do it tomorrow. God fills our lives with beauty. There is a God, and there's a, there's a God who cares, right? I mean, this is, this is the unbelievable thing about it. His speech, Psalm 19, is deafening. I mean, it's just deafening. He's just like it's pouring out. If you'll hear it, some will never hear it. Some will refuse to hear it. Some will. And you know the crazy thing about this? For those who will believe and will hear the voice of God in all of this, you know what the Bible says? You're still only hearing it partially. Look, look at this is incredible. Look at what Job says. Job 26, behold, these, this creation, are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him, but the thunder of his power, who can understand? You hear what he just said? Like any speech that's out there that of God, it's just him. It's just whispering. It's just my outskirts. You're, you're just seeing the, the peripheral edges of me. I mean, you, 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 you're not, it's like the tip of the iceberg and the majority of me is under the surface. You can't see, you can't comprehend, you don't know. And I'm just whispering right now. If I opened up my voice, if I let my vocal cords fly, you couldn't take it. You would run. 
you would be like the Israelites in, 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 uh, you know, at the foot of the mountain going, please, Moses, tell them to stop talking, right? Tell him to please stop. He's freaking us out, right? If God spoke like that. See, God speaks. God wants to be known. He, he wants to be understood. And some people, some people will hear and some people have heard God in their darkest moments, haven't they? They've heard him when they're being persecuted. They've heard him when they're behind bars. I mean, just think of all the people in history who heard God, who, as the poet says, uh, looked through the bars and saw the stars. John Bunyan writes Pilgrim's Progress when he's in prison. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, some of the greatest things that we have from Dietrich Bonhoeffer were written while he was imprisoned in a Nazi concentration camp. Chuck Colson, Nixon's hatchet man, radically saved while he's in prison. I mean, over and over. There is a God, and there is a God who speaks. So now, now how? How does God speak to us? Okay, so, so he speaks to the universe, but the second thing I want you to see is he speaks he speaks through the prophets. Okay, so this is, now we get to Hebrews, right? So now he says, long ago, look at verse one, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. See, so God goes, you need something more than the universe, right? Here's what the universe does. The universe just makes you guilty. The universe, you look out and you can't, the Bible says, if you're going to deny it, it's because you're repressing the truth that there is a God. But the, the farthest you can get with the universe is just going, there is a God out there. There's some God. And God's going, I need to give you more information that or you'll never know me. I've given you a lot so that you're without excuse, Paul says in Romans 1. But, but I, I, you need more. So he says, now I'm going to graciously give you the prophets. Now what, look what he says about them. Long ago, at many times, this is great. Like, like I, I'd like to meet you afterwards, but I'm guessing nobody in here, if you're married, you didn't get married on the first date, right? I mean, it just doesn't happen. I mean, maybe 99.99% of the why, because you don't know somebody. You've had a date, you've talked to them, but that's not enough. You need, you need to talk again, and you need to talk again and again. So it's not the first time, it's not the 10th time where you finally get to know somebody. Maybe not the 100th time, the 500th time, the 1,000th time, the 10,000th time. And over and over... That person is slowly being revealed to you because there's many times that they're coming back, you're going to them, and you're conversing. This week, praise God, Michelle and I will celebrate 25 years of marriage. Yeah, okay, good, yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm still getting to know Michelle. She's, she's really a closed book and, and hard to get to know. Um, that's a joke, if you know my wife. Um, but still, I mean, there's still things. You're 25 years into this. You're like, well, you know, I didn't, wow, that's kind of new. That's, that's, I, I, I didn't really know that, how you felt about this or that, right? That's what God says. God says, I come to you by the prophets, and I come to you over and over and over again. And every time God did it, he was revealing something new about himself. I'm going to show you something more. So he comes many times. But then the writer of Hebrews says he comes in many ways. And I love this even more <laughs> because, because we all know that we learn differently. Right? We, just, we just learn differently. Like some of us are auditory learners. So, man, you could shut your eyes right now and this, this service would be no different for you. Right? you just, that's how you take information. That's where you learn. Some of you are visual. 
So man, when you hear about the heavens declaring, the earth proclaiming and all that, you're like, oh, amen, brother. I go out there and I see it and I worship and it just fills my spirit. I come to church and we partake of the Lord's Supper and I see it and I, I, I taste it or, or I, I, we, we, we watch baptism and I see the gospel reenacted where people are buried and, 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 and raised to walk in newness of life. And some of you are kinetic, right? You're kind of like, you, you got to move. You, you love worship. You like standing up. You, you like kind of that, that personal involvement. Many ways God teaches us. But, but here's, here's also what I think he means when he says many ways. Like, well, let me say this. Like, uh, uh, Gary Chapman has written this book, The Five Love Languages. I don't know if he's right or wrong, whether there's five or 20, but apparently he's identified five. Um, now think about that. Okay, so, so he says that the way we show love and receive love, some of you are words of affirmation. Let's see if I can get these. Some of you are quality time. Some of you are gifts. Some of you are acts of service. And some of you are physical touch and closeness, right? This is how you give and receive love. And God does every one of those. He is full of words of affirmation. I open my Bible and it is filled. You are a child of God. This is your identity. You are an heir to, to all that Jesus is an heir to. I mean, over and over, these affirmations. It's quality time. I mean, look, God indwells us by his spirit. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He's always with us. I mean, I'm, I'm in you. I'm with you all the time. Acts of service. I send my son to die for you. Gifts. I, I give you good gifts. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. Physical touch. You ever prayed and say, God, touch my body and heal me? Or heal her or heal him? And he did it? Or, or we talk about the people of God coming around us and, and sometimes we'll lay our hands on somebody and pray for them. And see, God does all of it. But how about this? There's other many ways he does it. Have you ever think about the kind of literature that's in this Bible? We talked about this a little bit last week. There's poetry. There's prose, there's history, there's gospels, there's all this kind of stuff. And, and let's be honest, like sometimes you can get lost in reading your Bible, right? You're in, you're in numbers and you're like, okay, why do I need to know that, you know, the tribe of Levi or whatever had 114,215 people? I just, I, I, don't, I don't know what the relevance of it. I don't see God in this. And then you go to James, oh, oh, there's God. Or you get lost in Ezekiel's wheels and you're not sure what the heck is happening. And so you turn to Proverbs and boom, there's God. See the many ways that God does this? All kinds of ways that God goes, I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to help you. I know that we all don't learn the same. I've created you that way, and I'm going to make it where things resonate with your soul. I'm going to speak to you in many, many different ways. But then he tells us how he did that, and he says he did that by the prophets. By the prophets. What does he mean there? That literally means in the prophets. I mean, the translation when he says by, through his son is the same thing, in his son. It, here's the idea, that God's primary way of speaking to people in the Old Testament was not, um, you know, skywriting, right? 
his primary way was not to put his finger on a wall and write. Did he do it? Yes. But that was that his primary way? No. His primary way was not to thunder from a mountain. Did he do it? Yes. Was that his primary way? No. His primary way was not to whisper individual messages into the hearts of each individual Israelite. Never did that. His primary way was to call a man, inspire that man, speak to that man, and that man would write down what God told him or he would speak with that what God told him to speak. So that when, when it says he, he spoke to us in the prophets, the writer of Hebrews is telling you that when this man spoke up, when this man wrote down, then, then you are hearing the words of God. He is God's mouthpiece. He is God's agent. But one of the things the writer of Hebrews wants you to see is notice this. He says... Look at it again. He says, long ago, many times, many ways, he spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but. So so what he wants you to see is that everything in the Old Testament, although necessary and helpful, it shows us who God is, was fragmented and incomplete. We needed something more, but no longer. So the next way that God speaks to us is in Jesus Christ, right? So, so look what he says, long ago, and then he says, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. So you've got two phases of God's speech. Think about it this way. You've got the long ago phase, phase one. Okay, this is before Christ and his incarnation, and he's saying it was incomplete. It needed more. Then you've got the but in these last days. That doesn't mean like, that doesn't mean that, that, you know, the apocalypse is upon us. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means now that Christ has come, we are living in the last days. So, but in these last days, now it's complete. Now it's full. Now we have everything that we need to know. See, God wanted to speak loud and clear to us. God wanted to make sure that we knew things we could never know apart from Jesus coming. God wanted it so that we would never say, God, where are you? Why are you silent? Why are you so far off? Why don't you speak? Instead, we would look and say, to, look at Jesus and go, God, oh, you're here. You're, you're not silent. You're with us. You came to walk among us. You put on flesh so that we would not have any misunderstanding about who you are. And so, so this is why John says in John chapter one, in the beginning was the word, And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Next slide. Glory is of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. So look at John is saying, the writer of Hebrews is saying, the fullest, most complete, best revelation of God comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. It is now complete. Now, so what? How does this help you? And maybe let's ask the question, how in the world does this help these original readers? So I'm in Rome. It's around 64 AD. I'm going to be persecuted What do I do? How do I meet Christ? How do I meet God? What do I do? 
And what's God trying to say to me through all of this? Well, let's look at a couple of those, okay? Like, why is it important that we know that long ago but now in Jesus Christ? What's the importance of that? Well, let me give you a few things. Number one, it means, it means that God wants you to know him. Now, this is incredible. You understand, that didn't have to be. God could have been like the deist thought he did. He could have created this universe, wound it up, walked away and said, you know what, I want to create something else and move on and yours will eventually wind down. It'll blow up, it'll be done. Law of entropy will take over. This whole thing will be a catastrophe, but I'm done with you. But he didn't. He came to us. I want to know you. I want you to know me. In this is life, Jesus says, that they know you, the only God, Like, this is where life is found. And so God comes, and through Jesus Christ, he writes him into our story, and he he puts on skin so that you and I could know him. Do you know Christ? Do you know God through Christ? Do you know God as he's revealed in Scripture? And you don't have to, you know, it's not this awkward thing. Well, I'm not sure. I don't know if God likes me. I don't know if God wants to know me. It's not, it's not the junior high dance where I'm not sure if I should ask that girl and she's not sure if she's asked me. It's God saying, I made the first move. I initiated. I came after you. I want you to know me. I want this relationship to happen. Do you know God like that? Because the offer is there. I've given you everything. I'm showing you myself. I want you to know me. That is probably the most profound implication from this. But okay, so he wants us to know him. So how do we know him? How is this a comfort? Here's this this group of, 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 of Jewish Christians in Rome who are saying, well, that's great. You spoke long ago on the prophets, but now through Jesus, how's that supposed to help us? Because all we've heard is Jesus has ascended to God and God is not here anymore. And so how are we supposed to meet? How does this mean anything to us? And the writer of Hebrews would say to us what he would have said to them. He'd have said, you, you, 21st century Christians, will meet God, will meet Christ the same way these Hebrew Christians did. And how's that? Through the pages of Scripture. So that the primary way that God speaks is through Scripture. Now, now here are the way I phrase this. I did it on purpose. The primary way. The primary way. So that, so that, even if there are other ways, there are other means, none of them will go beyond what Scripture teaches. None of them will be, you know, sort of speculative outside of Scripture. They're they're not going to be sort of like, I have no idea where that comes from in Scripture. There's going to be a very clear linkage to any other way that God speaks to us with Scripture. So Michelle and I were out last night walking our dog, making this sort of round that we do, and uh, we bump into some friends. And we begin talking to them, and um, didn't know this about them. Um, his name is Paul, and Paul and Joy came to Christ about 13 years ago. They moved here from South Korea, and they were Buddhist. And... Um, Joy became a Christian pretty soon after they arrived, started going to this church, sort of dragging Paul with her. He didn't want to go. And one night he goes to sleep, 
and he has a dream. Now get this. If you know your Bible, just follow me here. In the dream, Jesus speaks to Paul and says to him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? <laughs> he had no idea what was happening. He's like, that's the strangest, weirdest dream. So he goes to this pastor of the church that his wife is dragging him to and saying, I had this really weird dream last night. And this is what happened. And the pastor's like, that's straight out of Scripture. That's Acts chapter 9. Like that literally happened to a guy named Paul who used to be named Saul. God kicked him off his horse and he got saved. And Paul was saved. But, but hear me. The normative, the primary way that God speaks is through Scripture. Now, do you believe that? See, ask yourself something. Do I need something more? Like, am I, am I saying, hey, Scripture doesn't feel like it's enough? You know, I'm not sure Scripture can tackle my biggest needs. I need a special word. I need something more immediate. I need some other kind of revelation that comes to me more immediate than the, you know, than the arduous, slow task of reading and studying Scripture. I'm not sure that when my friend is cutting herself and I don't know how to respond to that or they're going through some life-controlling issue, I don't know that I should be talking Scripture. Seems like she needs something more than that. I think the Bible needs a little updating. It seems a little backwards. It says there's some things that are wrong that just aren't wrong today. I, I just think I need more than Scripture. Then let me suggest to you that you don't really believe that this is God's primary way of speaking to you. See, look, look, we, we say at Foothill Church, we love our Bibles. We do. We bring our Bibles to church. We can take great pride in that. Some other churches, you don't bring your Bible. We study our Bible. We open our Bible. But what do we do when life gets difficult? What do we do when the world starts to cave in? What do we do when our world is upside down? Where do we want to run? Where do we turn to? What's going to bring us great solace? Or what do we do when life just gets boring? When it's mundane? Do we look for a, a new experience, a new revelation, some new word? Because Scripture simply isn't sufficient. I'm not sure I like that God talks to me primarily that way. So let me give you an example. Like, like the Bible has a ton, a ton to say about heaven. Randy Alcorn's written a book like this thick on heaven. What does Scripture say about heaven? And most of us would read the words of Scripture about heaven and we would yawn. Like, you know, that's, that's, that's exciting. But let a little four-year-old boy have a near-death experience and write a book and we're on the edge of our seats because we needed to know that the Holy Spirit is blue. Now, that's the kind of detail that gets me excited. 
Now let me suggest to you that you are belittling the means of communication that God wants to use in your life. God, it's not good enough. I, 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 I wanted more. I need that. I'll make a movie about it. Let's get the word out. Some kid went to heaven. Let's not get the word out about this. God makes all kinds of promises in Scripture. Amazing promises. And we think, hey, it's not enough. We're, we're looking for, you know, bigger things, better things. I need something more. I need to know God's will for my life. I, I don't know what to do with my life. So God, I need you to give me a vision or a dream to help me know exactly what you want me to do. This isn't good enough. I need, I need you know, some sort of impression. I need a quiver in my liver to know where you're directing me. Right? That's, oh, oh, oh there, there I just experienced God. We do this all the time. Is Scripture sufficient? See, you understand, this book, Hebrews, is written <laughs> to a congregation that very likely will suffer martyrdom. I mean, just let this sink in for a moment. Not, I'm not sure if I should take this job or that job. I'm not sure I'm going to pay this bill. I don't want to denigrate any of those things that's happening to you. If you're going through trials or whatever, those things are very real. This, these people are thinking we might die because of our faith. And I'm, I'm pretty sure nobody in here has that concern. And yet this writer thinks the most practical thing he can do, the most helpful thing he can say is simply to lift up Jesus in Scripture over and over and over and higher and higher and higher. And this isn't just, you know what, I was thinking some really deep thoughts about Jesus, so I'm going to tell those to you. You know what he does? You know what you're going to see as we go through Hebrews? He is going to go back to the Old Testament over and over again and show you, I want you to see who Jesus is from the Old Testament. I want to say it to you again and again and again and again. I'm going to lift this up. And if that's what potential martyrs need, why do we think we need something more? This is God saying, here's what I offer to you. I mean, I'm giving you my word. I'm speaking to you loud and clear. God is, is saying, look, open this book. Open this book, read it, and hear me. Hear my voice. So, so you, you want God to speak? Are you desperate like I am? God, speak to me. Let, let me tell you a foolproof way. I can tell you, without a doubt, you can hear the voice of God today. If you're not a Christian, I have no idea what that sounds like. I want God to speak to me. Maybe you came on the arm of a friend. Let me give you some homework. Ready? Get together with that friend. Open up to the book of Mark or Matthew or Luke or John. Read it together. And as you do, say, God, speak to me. Speak to me. I can't live unless you speak to me. And then listen.
he will speak. Let me give you one last thing. You would die if God were silent. You would flat out die. Like, look, there's a lot of things that I want in life. I want an English bulldog. I want a, a sort of manservant because I know how to do nothing but swing a hammer, and I'm not even good at that. Uh, hey, fix that, do that. I, I'd love a chef in my kitchen every morning that's ready to you know, cook me an omelet that I've ordered. I, I, there's a lot I want. I want a Tesla. Okay? There's very few things I need. I need air. I need water. I need food. I need shelter. Probably should have clothing. And hear, hear me, more than all of those, I need the word of God. Do you understand? Read your Bible and you'll discover that probably the worst punishment that God could send upon a people was a famine of the Word of God. So, so that he says in Amos 8.11, look what he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water. That'd be bad, right? We don't have water, we don't have bread. And God's saying, oh, there's something way worse. But if hearing the words of the Lord, I will remove the speech, my speech from you, you will no longer hear from me. That's what happens in, in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 3. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. This is judgment. If you don't hear, if we don't hear from God, if we don't have the words of God, we're dead something far better than digging water wells, something far better than feeding mouths, something far better than mosquito nets is the word of God. I don't denigrate any of those things. People need mosquito nets. They need fresh water. They need food to eat. They need shelter. They need clothing. But boy, you do all the missions work in the world, and if you forget the word of God, you've just made them comfortable on their way to hell. We, we can't live with it. Look, at, I, I, don't, I don't know what the truth is without the word of God. I don't know what pleases God without the word of God. I don't know how to be saved unless the word of God tells me. That's not something I get some extra place. I need the speech of God in my life or I die. This is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 4 that man doesn't live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds the mouth, from the mouth of God. God is speaking. Are you listening? Where? Where are you going to hear from God? Well, he's not silent. He's not hiding from you. So no matter what your situation in life, you're like, man, I'm going through it right now. This is rough. And the Bible says, all you need for life and godliness is right here. That's amazing. There's not a book on planet earth that can say that, except this book. We don't worship the Bible, we worship God. But we go and we hear him speak to us through his word. Do you want to hear the voice of God? Then then here's what you do. 
you open up your Bible and you listen. And you listen. And he will speak.